1: I'm Dave Whittaker, and this is Vinyl Snob.
3: I think at the same time I'd seen uh, um, some news of an American chap who'd put his ashes into fireworks and I thought, well, that's quite, quite a cool idea. And then I just thought, well, well, you know what, I'd like to be in a record.
1: That's Jason Leach. His company, and Vinylly provides a very unique service. We'll hear more.
3: We had a
0: line of about 50 people before we opened. And I think our folks, probably the earliest was here around 6, but still, 6 a.m. for a shop our size is pretty great.
1: And producer Dana Barry and I head out to Record Store Day. Talk to the folks. All that and more coming up in this episode. Top of the show, we always like to take a look at vinyl news. Today, that's about vinyl snob and the studio move that has kept us out of action for about the last three months. Found out on April 1st that the building in Sacramento where I leased space for my work studio and the Vinyl Snob Studio was being sold to make way for a new apartment complex, and I had to be out of there by May 31st. 1,500 square feet of studios was not going to fit in my downtown bungalow, so finding a new location was essential. Commercial space was becoming very pricey, and the walk-in studio business had been shrinking over the past few years. So, it looked like it was home studio time. Just had to find a bigger home. I'd always wanted, at some point, to escape the valley heat and congestion by moving to the north coast of California. Had my sights set on Humboldt County, thinking, yeah, when I retire... Well, about three days after I found out we had to move the studios, this great townhouse became available in Humboldt. Had looked at a lot of places in the area, but this one was different. Cut into a grove of redwood trees, yet a ten-minute walk to shopping and services. The kicker was this great loft space that I thought would make a perfect studio. The rationalization to make the jump and the move played out like this. Once everything is loaded onto the truck, three miles or 300 miles, it's just drive time. I can say now that there were some flaws in that logic. But once we were heading up US 101 in a 26-foot U-Haul loaded front to back, top to bottom, the only thing to do was keep driving. Definitely worth it. Although the first two months of getting life and the business settled in place was trying... The studios fit into the loft space perfectly, as we combined the digital HD work studio and the analog DJ vinyl studio on one desk. With the help of four equipment racks, we managed to put 50 years of technology side by side. We apologize for the interruption in content flow and are very pleased to be back at work. So, let's get to it. let's move on to what can be an uncomfortable subject. Planning for the day of your passing when you are no longer here. With the options of burial, cremation, even cryogenics, the chance to freeze your body and be brought back to life at some point in the future, now a new company in the UK named And Vinally is offering a fourth option. Company founder, Jason
3: Leach. I was actually beginning to get pretty frightened for the, the continued existence of vinyl at the time. It seemed pretty dire and also I was sort of reaching an age where I was beginning to think hang on a minute um, well actually just even thinking of it at all but maybe one day I will die um, hadn't, hadn't thought hadn't really occurred to me to be honest which I found Incredible, and when I started to think about it and talk to people about it, I found quite uh, funny reactions. I found a lot of people who've been lucky enough to be brought up in a fairly sheltered existence, as as I felt I obviously had been. Um, People didn't like to think about it or talk about it; they seemed uncomfortable. So I explored it a bit more and thought, you know, what would I, what do I want to do when I'm gone, or what would I like to leave, or what would I maybe like to have from my, you know, long lost descendants. Perhaps I had something to remember them by. I think at the same time I'd seen a, um, some news of um, an American chap who'd put his ashes into fireworks, and I thought, well, that's quite quite a cool idea. And then I just thought, well, well, you know what? I'd like to be in a record. And um, what a better way to you know, leave a record of myself, as it were, for my family and hopefully my great-great-great-grandchildren will be able to put a record on and listen to some, maybe some of my music hear a few of my thoughts and my voice can still move the air in the future sometime so I put a website up actually having a bit of fun and it was um it was a bit of a if you like a bit of a joke really the site because I was sort of enjoying the all the puns involved you know the things like live on from beyond the groove and things like that which I think was helping me sort of think about these uh, these things which felt like dark thoughts and um, and then I put this site up, as I say, during this sort of exploratory period and it just got picked up. Everyone just found it and seemed to love it. And I just got more and more interest um, to the point where in the end I had to say, look, I've got to give this the attention it's demanding. And I've sort of been doing it more and more since then. And it sort of began taking over almost all my time. Well, you know, you make an interesting point. Actually, you make several points
1: it's a subject nobody wants to talk about and not to make light of it it is a way to think of going on i mean my uh, plan according to my papers i'm going to be uh, cremated and then my ashes scattered in the uh, boat pond in uh, central park in new york city but this is a really interesting idea
3: you could actually do both of of you could you could stick to your plan and make a record we don't use too many ashes and we might get into more detail about that later but i just thought i'd make that point When I first started exploring the idea which was actually based purely around organizing it for, for myself. What's actually ended up happening so far, although we're busy organizing a, quite a number with people who are planning it, we've also, were, I suppose, surprised to find that there's lots of people who already have ashes of loved ones who would, would have loved the idea, for example, or other people who may have heard about it while they were still alive and just said that that's what they'd like to do. So a lot of what we do is actually organized by family or friends, Rather you know, rather than just necessarily people planning it for themselves. I think it was two thousand and six or possibly eight when I first put the first site up. And then it was really major press interest initially. And because of the nature of the first site, which was, you know, as I say, it wasn't meant to be a commercial venture. There were, I guess, very specific types of people who were saying, look, this is great. I'd love to do this or I already have some ashes. And that's where we started to actually um, offer it as a official service, if you like. And who are the clients
1: availing themselves of this service?
3: I couldn't sort of say it's any particular type. I'd say that um, because often we're dealing with Perhaps family members or friends. It might be people who who've lost a loved one who would have liked it, if you see what I mean. So we tend to deal with maybe people who might not have done it for themselves, but they're organising it because their loved one would have definitely wanted to, and they were aware of that, or they know that they would have been if they would have, if they had even known about it. So I think our actual clients are very very broad, and generally, it's either them or their loved one that were were very much music or audio fans and I think that's the probably the one aspect which joins everybody what type
1: of uh, records do you do I, I recall from the the article you had I mean there were several different things you can either have music uh, or spoken word what about I mean uh, silence if I yeah if I just really wanted to hear the uh you know the snap crackle and pop yeah. for a better term
3: well it's exact we we do recommend that we often we we'll always if people haven't considered that that's something we'll always say is you know that the some of the best records we've made have had have either been spoken word or if it was music for example that someone may have made we often suggest that they have a a silent track I and mean, if they've got room left on the side where we can we can fit it on people do do like that idea as well so we do we do often have um, silence. As we talked about
1: this somewhat unusual service, I had to ask if any one client request stood out.
3: Generally, overall, it's fairly unusual. I, I guess the one that's, that springs to mind is actually not anything to do with human remains. It was a meteorite, which someone had got compressed and powdered down. We pressed that on a on a clear vinyl, and we actually we cut that with a scully lathe. So you can, um, rather than having the tracks Um, one track on the outside and then for example the track in the middle and an inside track they all were cut from the outside in a spiral are you aware of the scully lathe where you have three maybe three grooves which start at the same point so the tracks are if you like intermingled almost so we actually we we cut that one which made it unusual as well in that regard and um, because it's very hard to find a scully lathe that was still working um at the time, and then the audio for that was the sound of a volcano um an earthquake, and a tornado um and they were very good field recordings so and with so they had there was an artist who had she had some poetry on there as well but it was a it was quite a quite a cool record, which looked fantastic because the the meteorite dust, if you like, was particularly um, striking, dark, and almost a little oily, so it really looked fantastic, and it was—it had great audio on it too.
1: These records are done as one-offs, and other than the fact that ashes are purposely mixed into the vinyl, something normally avoided at all cost, they are just like any other LP
3: these are proper vinyl records. There's nothing different about them except that we, we have the capability of being able to make one at a time. Normally, records are made in series and in, in runs of quite a high number, of course. And we, we essentially, we master the audio, we cut the dub plates, um, the A and the B side, and then we make the stampers from the acetates the dub plates and then we put the um, vinyl within the the pressing plates and we add the ash now we can either do that when we make the vinyl pucks so or we can do it record by record individually we spent quite a long time obviously with different materials establishing the best way to do it because you want the ash in the record and you don't mind a few pops and crackles that maybe wouldn't be there but of course you want the record to play and you want to see them as well. So we don't use too much but we have enough so that you can see it um, but not so much that you can't play it and we've had to sort of perfect the process of getting it in there so that it's within it and not just on it
1: if you like. Okay, I was intrigued. So, two things. One, what is the cost? And two, what is the normal run? How many of these things do you make? I can think of a handful of people who might want a copy of me in vinyl, but I'd hate to have my loved ones saddled with thousands of copies of me
3: the thing is about it of course when you're making a proper vinyl record it is a proper vinyl record and of course when you make it normally make a record apart from obviously wanting to keep things like dust etc away from the process which is this, this is the opposite um, you're making thousands and as you make thousands your unit cost goes down our estimates are for up to 30 copies and most of the time people don't have that many it's not inexpensive because you've got to generate all the materials you need to make the record and the the same goes for the artwork for the labels and the sleeves for example probably the lowest cost way of doing it would be clear vinyl with only one side of audio cut because you only need to make one acetate or dub plate cut only one side of audio and then make only one stamper so obviously that significantly reduces the cost Or that part of the process by about half, and then for the sleeve, you know, perhaps clear plastic, and that's probably the most inexpensive way that costs just over a thousand pounds. And then, as a sort of example of a 12-inch vinyl with two sides of audio, about 18 minutes per side, let's say, um, with printed labels and Sleeves, because obviously you could have gatefold, or you could have a double vinyl. So these things can affect the cost, of course. So for a spined printed sleeve with a uh, printed labels and a record for thirty copies, it's about two thousand pounds, two thousand one hundred pounds.
1: About twenty seven hundred U S dollars.
3: But one thing that we found out, which has been particularly heartening for us, is um, that we often get contacted by friends because. Often, I know it happened to me recently when I lost some, a couple of friends recently, and although I'd been spending maybe the last 15 years with him almost every day, um I'd never really met their family. they didn't really know me either, and so when they came to the time of their funeral, for example, I wasn't really included and Despite the fact that I'd probably spent you know more time with a guy f- for the last fifteen years than anyone, what we've found is that we get lots of contact from friends who may have spent a lot of time with someone that they've that they've lost recently, and they're so thankful and grateful for having this memento of of their good friend that meant so much to them because the audio perhaps that was on there would be particularly pertinent to them as well. So we get some very good uh, feedback from friends who may normally not have maybe got anything to remember a friend or a loved one by.
1: It is a very, I mean, interesting idea and a great way to remember someone, especially, like you said, if it's a a piece of music that was important to them or perhaps, you know, their voice. And then, of course, the silent tracks, you can, you know, really hear them. Exactly. have you uh, have you ever done any celebrities
3: well we have actually we have we have worked with people who are well known i, I don't tend to sort of talk about it because it's not something that um we like to do we we we're, we're sort of making a point of keeping it still very personal and just ourselves doing it because it's i've never felt comfortable allowing anyone else to handle it because obviously like i say it wasn't intended on being a commercial venture and i did find myself suddenly realizing the gravitas the responsibility of speaking to people who may be mourning for example and um and i'm very pleased to say i've actually managed to deal with these situations quite well and people have been very pleased with how we have dealt with them and so i'm very keen to keep that that um sort of personal touch if you like and at the same time we don't you'll probably would have seen on the website we don't have lots of pictures of ones that we've made or anything like that because it doesn't feel appropriate to me to um to sort of, you know, plaster them around as promotion, if you like, because these things mean a lot lot to these people, and they are private. So, so, but yes, we have.
1: (laughs) And we'll just leave it there. Although I can't help but imagine the possibilities of a Rolling Stones box set. My thanks to Jason Leach with And Vinally. We have pictures and links to his company on the episode 11 page at VinylSnob.com. He joined us from his home in Scarborough on the northeast coast of the UK. We'll be back with more Vinyl Snob after this. Welcome back to Vinyl Snob. Executive producer Dana Barry and I headed out on Saturday morning, April 13th, for Record Store Day. Record Store Day. Let's go to Dave's. Wow. Our first stop was Dave's Records at his new location in Berkeley. Wow, nice new store. Thank you. You recently moved over here, how long have you been at this location now? Uh, Since
4: uh, November, so I guess maybe four or five months now. I think the neighborhood's a little more vibrant.
1: If you're not familiar with the event, on the third Saturday in April, vinyl collectors and independent record store owners celebrate Record Store Day. The idea is to get people out to their brick-and-mortar record stores where the hunt is on for special one-time-only vinyl releases put out just for this one-day celebration. So we are here on Record Store Day. Did you get some of the special releases?
4: Yeah, I got a couple boxes of that stuff because people asked for it. So if they want it, I'll, you know, I'll get it for them. Hey, well, can you take us through what you got? Oh yeah, the Pink Floyd mono saucer full of secrets. Uh, kind of dying to crack that open. You know, I'm a geek, so I ordered the Rush Hemispheres picture disc. Another, what this is this, Albert King, Born Under bat side in Mono. I'm a, I'm a sucker for Mono. I'm a sucker for Frank Zappa. I think I had this cassette tape in the 80s. Bunch of good stuff.
1: Like most people in the record store business, Dave's happily been at it for quite some time.
4: Since the 80s, you know, when I was a teenager, I got a job in a record store. You know, I've been selling vinyl in my own shop for maybe 15 years now.
1: Dana's already going through the box. He wants the Rush picture disc, I know. <laughs> already got it. Yeah. Even though it was 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, collectors were already out searching for those special releases. Can I get your first and last name?
4: Yeah, my name is Paul Feldman.
1: It's uh, about 10.15 on a Saturday morning. Uh, what brings you out to the record store today?
4: Oh, record store day. Yeah, I'm a big fan of record store day, so it brings me out.
1: And what are you here picking up?
4: There's three ones that I was looking for. It was the South Park soundtrack, the Prince... Pop Life.
1: Wait a minute. Did he just say the South Park soundtrack, Bigger Longer Uncut, was released on vinyl? How the f*** did I miss that? It's a great soundtrack,
4: and I've been waiting for him to put it out, in only 5,000 issued, so they're going to be really hard to find.
1: That would be great. I've got it on CD, but yeah, whatever. Really? I've never seen it on vinyl before. No, oh,
4: it was the first. Yeah, I found the Prince one, so I'm really happy about that. And then the nice thing about this, I think, is coming to the smaller stores and looking around and finding things that you may not have found at the bigger stores. So
1: that's pretty cool. With more stores on our list, we headed into Oakland. We're here at 123 Go in Oakland, California. It's Record Store Day 2019. Got a lot of people in line here. Going to see if somebody will uh, let us know what they're waiting for.
5: I've been here since four in the, uh, 5 in the morning.
1: <laughs> Wait a minute. Back this up. You've been waiting outside the record store since 5 o'clock this morning for Record Store Day.
5: I already, yeah, I already got in. And I'm waiting back in line again. Can I get your uh, first and last name? Sure, yeah, it's Maurice
1: Turietta. So you're here for Record Store Day and the special releases. What kind of stuff were you looking for?
5: Well, I was getting the X-Ray specs, uh, Desmond Decker, Little Walter, the Wax Tracks uh, sa- soundtrack, Thirteenth floor elevators, Roots Radix, Humble Pie, Pink Floyd, Bob Dylan, Wes Montgomery, Fela Kuti, Albert King, uh, Golden Earring, The Queen's single,
0: uh,
5: The Spider-Man soundtrack, uh, Culture, uh, Woody Guthrie, Santi Gold, uh, Otis Redding, uh, Lightning Hopkins, High on Fire. Wow.
1: So you've been uh, you've been doing record store day for a while.
5: Yeah, I've probably come to this location for the last five or six years.
1: That's great. Yeah, and you check out all of, the, uh, of what's going to be available online on the, on the website?
5: Uh, I do. I strategically figure out what I want in advance.
1: Best of luck, Maurice. Thanks. What's your name? Uh, Dave Whittaker. I'm with Vinyl Snob.
5: The Vinyl Snob. Okay, thanks, Dave. Take care. I'll look you up. You got a tote for this man? Sure. How about a tote bag? Okay, thanks a lot. In its 12th year, Record Store Day has
1: evolved from a simple gathering to promote the culture of a record store to a quest, as collectors who know about the special releases are determined to get their hands on them. Heading into Econo Jam. it's Record Store Day. Hey, how's it going? And we're back here at Econo Jam. how's Record Store Day going?
0: It's going really well. We had a line of about 50 people before we opened and then, yeah, just full.
1: We were talking to somebody over at um, 1234. He said he had been in line since 4 a.m. Oh my
0: gosh. I think our folks probably the earliest was here around 6, but still 6 a.m. for a shop our size is pretty great. A lot of folks did buy the new stuff, but we also have a ton of uh, just used stuff that's just come out today. And so it's been a pretty good mix.
1: A veteran of many record have store fun? days, hey, Tom. Econo Jam owner do do Tom O'Shaughnessy.
0: It's been amazing, actually. Um, I I was shocked when I walked out the door to let people in, and uh, I saw about three times as many people as I was expecting, so. (laughs)
1: How does this Record Store Day compare to ones in in previous years?
0: You know, every year there's there's a lot of releases, there's, you know, there's just a ton of them, and uh, this year we actually didn't order quite as much as previous years just because of uh, not seeing as many titles that interested us, but that being said, we still spent thousands upon thousands of dollars on product and uh, people came running for it.
1: So you get to, of all the releases, you can go to the uh, online, I'm assuming, and uh, pick and choose what you want.
0: Yeah, kind of. Um, the different distributors will send out lists of uh, you know everything they have available, and yeah, we we make our picks from that list and then uh, send in you know those orders. But you never know, you know. Most of the time, you know, if something's somewhat limited. You, you might order 20 copies and, and only get three or four. They do a good job with allocating. They have a deadline for everybody. Get in, Get your orders in by a certain date, and then, uh, and then they allocate to the different stores.
1: Have you seen uh, Record Store Day growing? Because you've been doing it from the beginning. We did a, an interview of Record Store Day probably about three or four years ago, and I was finding that most of the people I spoke with Oh, it's Record Store Day, and we came out, I heard there were some new releases, and most people were just browsing. Everybody I've talked to today had their list. They knew exactly what they were coming out for. But now it really has kind of become an event.
0: Yeah, definitely. People will come through the list and, and find however many uh, releases they can, uh, you know, won't stretch their wallet too far. And it's interesting, like, the people we talk to Asking us questions. Those questions are like, "Oh, did you get this? How many did you get? Blah blah blah. You know, do you have any left?" And and our phone will be ringing off the hook for the rest of the you know weekend, basically. Um, you know, looking for those elusive releases that maybe the first store that they went to doesn't have anymore.
1: Does any product you have left, does it just go into regular inventory or do you have to send it back?
0: Uh, there's actually no returns on, on any of this product. So you have to be real careful because you want to order more than you expect to get. But if you actually get the the number that you ordered and then it turns out to be a dud, then, then you're stuck. You, you got to get deep in there and really think about w- what you expect people to you know, how excited they might be about something. And
1: your decision on what to purchase, is it based on your own personal taste, but also what your customers generally pick up?
0: Right, yeah, that's, that's the job of, of people that buy for record stores, w- which artists are the ones that people are, are really excited about, and which ones are the ones you can kind of dial it back a little bit and order, you know, smaller quantities.
1: And with that, we'll put a lid on Record Store Day 2019. Our thanks to everybody at Dave's, 1234Go, and Econo Jam Records for speaking with us. Now I think I'll head over to eBay and see if anybody's selling that South Park LP.
3: Wait. Don't do it, Cartman! Okay, okay.
1: On this episode's trip to the record store, we stopped in at Red Devil Records in San Rafael, California, and spoke with Barry Lazarus, career record store guy.
2: We celebrated 20 years last spring. At this location... Uh, we were in Petaluma six years, and it'll be almost fifteen years here.
1: It looks like you cover everything from punk to jazz to spoken word to comedy to rock. Um, I also see that you've got to still have a nice collection of CDs. What, what's moving?
2: It all moves well. CDs are a pretty small; they're about ten percent of our sales. So it's mostly vinyl. I would say our specialties are classic rock, punk rock, jazz, blues, and reggae are what we sell the most of. But we do, but we do a little bit of everything, really.
1: While some record buyers venture out of the shop to flea markets or even estate sales to find product, Barry says at Red Devil, it walks through the door of their busy 4th Street location.
2: No, I don't go to estate sales whatsoever. Yeah, so the used stuff just comes in um, off the street. It's people cleaning out their garages, emptying their closets, or it's regular customers that are calling their collection, or uh, other dealers that put stuff on consignment here.
1: Uh, I notice you've got quite a uh, collection of uh, very interesting uh, picture sleeves, seven-inch records. I have never seen this one before. Tell me a little bit about Frank Gorshin, The Riddler.
2: It's an original f- uh, from the '60s. It's a great-looking picture sleeve of of The Riddler. Uh, one side is a pretty fun, fun kind of cheesy '60s garage rock, and it, it's good. The other side is more of a crooner. I mean, at 100 bucks. Needless to say, it's very rare. And uh, actually, the, the A side, where he sings as the Riddler, is good. It's it's good 60s garage rock.
1: Well, that was in you know the 60s when pretty much if you were on TV, you got to do a record. I mean, there was you know Leonard Nimoy. I see you've got two sides of Leonard Nimoy up there, which was also in my own personal collection, um, bought back in the day.
2: Most of these are not from uh, my collection. Most of these are. The ones you're asking about are the ones on display on the shelves behind the counter. They're probably our rarest records and our, uh, our best-looking ones. They're, the only ones that are from my collection are these two Blondie records. When I found out that they they were worth up close to $500 each, I figured I'd put them on display because they're so appealing to the eye. And then if they sell, then more power to the person who buys them. If not, then everybody just gets to look at them. I don't really care if they sell, to be honest. I mean. For, for those listening, one of them is a picture disc of Deborah Harry's face. Uh, with a, It's an Andy Warhol painting over her face. And then the other one is a nude um, picture of her uh, from a live concert.
1: Let's talk about it You've been here 15 years, is it? Yeah. Started here then when pretty much nobody still wanted records. I mean, CDs were starting to trail out and MP3s were coming on strong. How have you seen it change here as far as what comes in the door and what people are buying?
2: Uh, well now it's the opposite people are offering their CDs to get records and I don't even buy you CDs. people donate them to the store. It just it happened organically. People just started offering me their, their CDs for free and then I have I, I got more than I could even ha- that I even have room for so I don't pay for them anymore because people give me hundreds at a time for free just because they, they just want them gone and they don't want to deal with them. LPs have been our number one specialty since we opened over 20 years ago. Well, obviously, records sound better and look better. So those are the two main selling points. But I think maybe the reason why they've grown in popularity so much starting about over five years ago was when the the trend really started. And I think it may be that with such a plugged in world with the proliferation of computers and uh, iPads and email and social media, I, I almost think it's um, an unconscious not rebellion, but an unconscious wanting to be unconnected from all that stuff and do something that is just feels more analog and more old school. I, that is my that's a guess. but I think the bottom
1: line is people love music and vinyl looks better and sounds better. And can't argue with that. Barry Lazarus of Red Devil Records on Fourth Street in San Rafael, California. That's the program. Vinyl Snob is produced at Post Audio, Studio One in Eureka, California. Dana Barry is our executive producer, our theme music composed by Cameron Robbins. You'll find pictures and links to our guests and the extended music version of this program on the episode 11 page at vinylsnob.com. While you're there, stop by the store for free domestic shipping on all Vinyl Snob gear and check out our one-hour music DJ shows on Vinyl Snob Radio featuring many of the artists talked about here on the Pantheon Network. If you have any questions about vinyl records or stereo equipment, we'd be happy to look into it. Drop me a line, dave at vinylsnob.com. If we use your idea in the show, we'll send you a Vinyl Snob t-shirt and a tote bag and you can watch heads turn next time you walk into the record store for vinyl snob i'm dave whittaker thanks for listening